Welcome to the Air Combat Simulation Podcast, brought to you by VBR Productions. Together with content creators, mission builders, experts, and enthusiasts, we explore the comprehensive world of combat aircraft simulation. guys welcome to the next episode of air combat sim i know we had a bit of a hiatus here a few months break uh, for different reasons but we're back uh, and we'll be back with regular content i hope every three weeks from now on and a few housekeeping notes so to speak before we move to our today's recording with wax so as you've probably seen jabbers with a lot of things going on decided to step back from DCS and also from the podcast so we'd like to thank him for all the episodes he recorded with us but for the time being we had to rethink a little bit the formula and we've also invited a few very exciting people to join us on the panel and two of them are with us today so you know Rob or Goat who's with us from the beginning but we also have Juice and Belgeode I hope I pronounced it right uh, so Juice is from the Air Warfare group and Belgiot is the YouTuber and also a, you might know him as a voice of Flip Wilson from Raven 1. Hey guys. Hello. Yeah, it's actually Belgiot. <laughs> but I but I'll let it slide this wrong, time but... only because you got my name in lights. <laughs> Great. So if you guys could tell, tell, say a few words about you, introduce yourselves to our listeners, because we'll be hearing you much more often now in all the episodes. Well, Juice, you want to start? <laughs> yeah. Mine's not as hard. I got juice in uh, my first call sign in my first squadron in Okinawa in 1983, and it's a play off of my last name. And it's not orange juice. It's a different kind of juice. <laughs> well, and let me just throw this out there that, you know, one of the things that, uh, as some people have noticed, we're not as consistent as would like to be in terms of the frequency of our episodes. And so we really are lucky and are excited to have juice come on board to help keep us uh, keep the frequency up and great content flowing. So we're just glad to have them. So welcome aboard, Juice. Yeah, I'm a natural at all this. Uh, my wife says I talk too much. So I'm Juice. Uh, this is my first podcast since joining the team back in January. Uh, been working with uh, Baltic Dragon and Goat on the um, on our activities that we're doing over at mondays.com and kind of coming to fill the void as far as somebody to kind of keep the keep the ideas flowing uh not not necessarily that there wasn't a um any ideas that were not being generated before but you know just to uh I'm, i have a passion for sharing aerospace and i think this would be a good fit for me to come in uh, i'm waiting to be fired at any moment and as stated, uh, my name is Belgeold. I am the same Belgeold from YouTube. The purple hat guy, as most people tend to call me whenever they run into me in conventions and so on. Um, pretty much what I do is the channel. So the channel morphed years ago from just a standard gaming channel to a more flight sim oriented channel. So DCS was actually one of the 
very first things that I started making videos of, as well as uh, FSX, uh, X-Plane, P3D, and now Microsoft Flight Simulator, which appears to have dominated the channel. Aside from that, I've done uh, voiceover work for other folks. Uh, Ranger 79 comes to mind, some of his earlier campaigns from way back when he actually had me do a few different voices for. And then, of course, my uh, lovely host, Baltic Dragon, working with him for uh, Raven 1 and, of course, the upcoming campaign as well. So you might say that between all of that, it keeps me very, very busy. But I'm extremely pleased to be here with my uh, fine compatriots and ready to get the show started. Amazing. Really happy to have you guys on board. And there's one more person who's not with us today, but will be joining the podcast, which is Ralphie Dude, whom you all probably know. And you also know we have Casmo and Tricker, and that's, I think, the whole kind of, um, how you call it? Gang. The whole gang. group. Of the gang, yeah, whatever. <laughs> You'll be hearing from us. Yeah. yeah. You'll be hearing from us more, more often now, I hope, and regularly, every three weeks, um, if all goes well. All right, so I think that's that's it for the housekeeping. And let's, without further ado, let's move to the interview uh, with Wags. So we're here today with Matt Wagner, um, Wags from Eagle Dynamics. Hi, Wags. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Good to have you back. And since we're pretty close to release of the iconic Apache, we thought we'd uh, talk about you mostly about this module. But also, if we have time, uh, we, we got quite a few questions from our community on other things, the usual things and not so usual things. Uh, but we'll, we'll see how much time we have. And folks, if we don't ask you a question, don't be upset. Uh, we might just have wags here again. If we if we started asking all the questions you had, then Apache would be delayed probably because it has stayed <laughs> with us for a couple of hours more. So uh, with that, and, uh, you know, we, we had we had an episode with Casmo, who is the uh, uh, SME for the Apache, one of the few, I guess. Uh, and he told us quite a few interesting things. But now uh, we want to hear from Wax. Where are we with the Apache? And, and, and there's lots of questions the folks have. But maybe before we go to that, there's one question that, that's been floating around a lot concerning the current situation in the world with Ukraine, etc. And, and ED, or Eagle Dynamics, uh, place in that being supposedly a Russian firm. So maybe if we could kick off with that and, and just ask Matt to, to, to say a few words about that. Yeah, sure. Actually, um, thank you for that, because there actually there's, I think, been a fair amount of misunderstanding about that. And I understand why. Uh, originally, when Nick and Igor started the company, it, it certainly was a Russian company. But years ago, um, particularly after uh, Igor passed away, um, Eagle Dynamics actually became Eagle Dynamics SA, a solely owned Swiss and operated company. Uh, we certainly have employees in Russia, but all employees in Eagle Dynamics are contractors, and they're from all around the world. You know, of course, we have some guys in Russia. Of course, we have some guys in Belarus. We also have guys in Ukraine. We have guys in the United States, Canada, Germany, UK, Italy, Spain, and probably more I'm forgetting about. Uh, so in many ways, it is very much a multinational company with employees all around the world. Um, but by no means is it operated, owned uh, Russian entity. It has not been for quite a long time. 
right? That should uh, answer lots of people's questions. And I think that's all we should touch upon with regard to this question and move rather move to the Apache. So Ed, could you tell us uh, how, if you can tell us, how close we are to the release? Oh, very close. So like we announced the other day, uh, we're essentially in code lock um, with, unless it's a block, we call it blocking bug, which can include a crash. We're really not trying to touch the code at this point. Uh, right now, the big focus is on fixing any blocking bugs we do identify. And of course, test, test, test. You know, obviously we've had in our past releases that were not quite up to the standards we're looking for in terms of stability and quality control. And we're sincerely doing our very, very best now to not repeat that. So testing is very important for us. Uh, as you guys probably know, we actually started, we call the CBT or closed beta team. Uh, which is comprised of many, many community members, uh, many of which were on the forum, and we identified as you know being you know particularly good at sp spotting bugs and communicating them in a very clear, concise manner, and that's helped us you know quite a bit on identifying issues prior to release. So we really want to give those guys time to really dig into the game before we send it out there. And right now we're right in the middle of that. And, you know, once we're at a stage that we feel that, you know, we have a good quality product that's, you know, worthy of our title on it, we'll have it out there. So I, can you explain a little bit just about, uh, you know, because I think people are curious, um, you know, what has changed from the old process where we had some hiccups to the new process? A lot of it's just the number of eyes looking at it now. Uh, previously, years past, uh, we had just you know a fraction of the number of eyes, both internally and externally, looking at the product before it went out, and you know that led to problems and things got missed. Uh, and that's where I think we're, we've you know spent a lot of time improving is having a much more thorough uh, QC pro process that we don't miss stupid things anymore. And uh, I think the hind, uh, by and large, was a good demonstration of that. And it's my hope and expectation that the uh, 64 will uh, even more so, uh, you know, show that we can release a really good quality product at EA. You know, I, I think uh, I think the overwhelming support from the community has been, we're we're happy to wait for it to be a little bit better than what you know it probably would have been if we rushed it and everything. Most certainly. And how how is the SMEs part play playing into that? Because it seems I saw this great video of Casmo where you were flying with him and a few others SMEs, yep. um, which we'll probably put the, uh, in the in the in the notes for the episode because it's, it's really good to see. But was uh, Apache and were there more SMEs involved than in previous products, or how how does it look? So for this product, uh, we definitely have more SMEs actively on board with this one. Um, but more importantly, they're also compared to past products. Uh, the SMEs are much, much more engaged. Um, actually, to the last, they're also all big DCS players. So they're very heavily vested into the product. And they really want to you know, help build a product that they personally want to fly. So when you have that personal ownership 
of a product, you really, you know, put that extra effort into making something special. And um, I've worked with a lot of SME uh, teams over the years, and this one far and away has just been outstanding. And I really think when you guys have your hands on it, I think a lot of the, their work will come through. And, and in terms of develop, how many years has it been for, uh, how long has it development taken? Uh, development wise, it's probably been in actual, no kidding development, maybe two years. And we announced it about a year, what, two months ago? So compared to projects past, uh, this has been a very rapid uh, development process, uh, mainly because you know we have much more tools, know-how, and a process down to really accelerate our development process these days. But it also looks that it's much more advanced and, and difficult to build or code than, than anything else that's out there for the time being. Or is it not? Is, well, there's a lot of things that you could use from other modules uh, to utilize it with Apache. Uh, not so much. Um, you know, we certainly have a, a, a set of APIs. You know, for example, between the Hornet and the Viper, there's a fair amount of shared technology that we can use. Uh, not as much with the 64. You know, obviously, you know, both use a common FLIR system. Uh, but other than that, not too much. See, that actually surprises me that um, the Apache really hasn't had like, you know, a lot of years in development, just two years. It seems to me that there was something perhaps unique with this particular bird that made it go so much smoother than, say, for example, I don't know, the Hind or, you know, some of the earlier ones, the F-16, the F-18. Was there anything in particular that was unique about the Apache for the development team that just, you know, had everything going on all cylinders? Not so much the platform itself. It's more of a case of we just have many more people on board now. Uh, particularly on the systems and avionics side, whereas, you know, year past, we maybe had one or two people that can work on such projects. Now we have you know, entire teams that can work on systems, and those are just incredibly complex, you know, hard work to do. Um, you know, second is we just have much, much better documentation on this aircraft compared to other aircraft. And third, you know, as we've talked about before, we have a really great SME team that's been able to help uh, clarify information in public sources. You know, I was going to ask, um, you know, I remember catching a video from Nick Gray about a month or about a year ago where he kind of labeled it out about how they've in the last, what, 18 months or so, you've almost increased the uh, employees on the team twofold or yeah. you've, you've hired almost as much as you had on at one time. Uh, that is probably a little synergistic effect in itself. Absolutely. Yeah, just the staffing and the quality of the staff um, is played a huge role in being able to you know, expedite the development of this product. Now, with that having been said, do you think there's going to be the possibility down the road that we're also going to see perhaps an Apache A variant, since we already have basically the framework for that? Uh, way too early to tell. Uh, right now, we're just focused <laughs> on the Delta. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> but ha having said that, what, what what do you think is the, I mean, once it releases in the early access version, what what's the biggest thing still to be developed later on or added? Is the uh, radar or what? Yeah, fire control radar, the SCR, and probably the inter-flight uh, data link. You know, one of the big questions or a series of questions that we got from the, from the viewers or the fans of the show uh, were mostly 
well, I wouldn't say mostly, but a large portion of them were helicopter related. We've got a, quite a few questions like after the, after the Apache is, is there any other helicopters in ED's pipeline that you can tell us about? And uh, one question in particular says, any chance we can get a Western transport like maybe a CH-47? So we have, we definitely do have another helicopter in the pipeline, but uh, as you might imagine, I just can't comment on it at this point. Understood. <laughs> but since we're talking about uh, other helicopters, uh, any updates? Also, one of the questions from the community that popped up quite often about the Black Shark Three. Yeah, it's it's very very much in development. Um, it's I think once we start releasing images of it, I think it'll be much more apparent why this has taken longer than most people expected. Um, graphically, in detail, um, I'm not exaggerating. When, when you guys see, it really will set a new standard in terms of how we do our modeling. It's just mind blowing, you, you'll see. Um, but also you know, a lot of the systems uh, being integrated into it are just taking time. And right now, um, it's just one guy working on this, uh, one of our very talented guys, but he's being pulled in multiple directions at the same time. And uh, there's been some priority issues he's had to address in parallel, which has probably slowed things down a little bit too. But again, there's just, it's, it's not a simple update. There's um, quite a bit going on here, which again, uh, once we have the, the 64 out, that will probably be much more of a focus for us to start um, releasing more details on. So now, would that also include um, following up on some of the older helicopters, for example, adding things like um, multi-crew to the hip? One of my longtime favorites, by the way. Sure. It's just, as always, it's just a matter of time and resources. You know, we have finite people and finite time. And it's determining, you know, what's going to be the biggest bang for the buck to make our customers happy. So you do, you do A, then you deny the time to do B. And it's one of those things that, unfortunately, regardless of what decision we made uh, to put our priorities on, there's always going to be one segment that's very happy with it, but often a much more vocal element that's going to be unhappy with it. But in a perfect world, we had, would have unlimited resources and unlimited time to do everything in parallel. But unfortunately, it's just not the reality of the situation. That does make a lot of sense, yeah. One of the questions that also pops up often is uh, regarding the kind of new models versus base game uh, ratio. So, so let's say the AI or the thing that I don't know the AI would quite often hit you directly into, I mean, hit the pilot in the helicopter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, those kinds of things that would need some balancing. How important are they on on the list of things to do? They're important, you know, particularly things that impact gameplay globally in DCS are very high priority. Uh, again, we have a, you know, a lot of priority things, unfortunately, right now, and we have a large queue. Uh, nothing is being ignored uh, by any means, and I think we're aware of almost everything. It's just a matter of having the people to put against resolving those issues, and we're, we're literally going as fast as we can on those. Cool. So when it... When we take a look, so I, I thought one of my favorite questions that came in from the community was, will we be able to hang something on the hooks in the Apache? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, we are looking at, you know, after <laughs> early access release of making an option uh, of the hooks. Uh, personally, I'm actually, honestly, I was a little taken aback by the amount of negativity that people get so distracted mm -hmm. about that when they should be focusing on much more important things like flying a helicopter, but, you know, to each their own. 
yeah, I, I, I didn't hear any of the negativity, but I, I live in a more close world or kind of uh, put those pieces off. But I would say that, um, you know, it, it's always interesting to me when I sit there and I, I'm watching the videos and you got the hook and it's moving and it's just, it just looks really yeah. cool. So, you know, whether, whether we're talking about the fan and the hind or things like that, to me, some of those little nuanced details of it are just, just well, actually, super this, nice. This is an example yeah. of something that the SMEs brought up that they really wanted to see in there because, you know, literally it's hard. You'll be hard pressed to find mm. a 64 without the hooks and to have it not in there. It would just to them not look right. So, yeah, you know, you know, maybe later we'll do a, a better physics modeling just on the hook. Uh, or, you know, in the meantime, again, what we'll probably do is we'll just, you know, make the hooks an option if people just get overly focused on it for some reason. I can definitely tell you that it's those little things that count. Things like the fan, things like the hook, especially someone like myself who I only fly in VR. So, you know, I'm going for the most immersive experience possible. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, to me really shows that Eagle Dynamics cares about the modeling of the aircraft. It's not even so much about the actual systems, the combat capability. It's those little tiny details that really make you feel like you're in the bird. Yep. yep. That's her goal. And the pilot's body, is it going to be out uh, the initial release or later uh, on? Uh, if not release, soon after. Uh, it's also one of those things that we spend in a huge amount of time on, uh, not just the body itself, but a whole new animation system which will look much smoother, much more lifelike than anything we've done in uh, ED product in the past. Great, and so, sorry to digress, but I also remember you saying the same is being done for the infantry models. Yes, right? but that'll come probably later. Our priority right now is the uh, 64 pilot model. And it's not just for like a single player. Uh, when you're in multiplayer, you'll actually see um, your co-pilot be moving around based on his head movement as well. Amazing, yeah. and so for copilot, let's also switch uh, for single player uh, for the AI copilot. Uh, can you say a few words about how, how it, that's going to work? Right. So George is in principle uh, based on the system we first established uh, for Petrovich for the Hind, but a much more refined, but also modified to be specific to how you fly the sixty-four. So uh, actually, probably the next video I'm going to do is literally going to be on George. And in a nutshell, if you're in the CBG seat, you have the ability to command your pilot in the back in either hover bob-up modes or transition cruise modes. And the key is uh, finding a system that, one, is non-intrusive because you don't want anything in your you know, forward field of view that's going to interfere with the HDU and distract you. So everything has to be kind of off the center. Uh, the second is when you're commanding maneuvers, like let's say you're, you're hovering behind a line of trees, uh, you want to be able to have a very rapid and easy way to you know, slide left, slide right, mask, unmask, and move around through the system. And that's where the system, I think, really shines. And I can't honestly think of another uh, AI interface that we, that can do it. Uh, there's some great interfaces out there for fixed wing, but for helicopter, it really is a different animal. And I think once people start flying the 64, they're going to better understand that. 
Now, if you're in the uh, pilot seat, uh, most of your interface there is commanding George of you know what weapon to waz up, you know where to look for targets, uh, things like that. But also in parallel, it won't be ready unfortunately for the release. But you're also working on a, essentially a system for George as your gunner to automatically search for, identify, and prioritize targets as well. You know, Wags, uh, you've mentioned the the benchmarks or benefits that you got from working uh, from the company working on the Hind and carrying a lot of that technology, like this, uh, like George and stuff in the in the Apache. How does this module compare to other development milestones or other development challenges with, like, let's say, the Viper or the Hornet or any other recent aircraft that we've received from the from the team? And what it, was there anything on the Apache that was unique to the development team that you hadn't encountered before? Uh, probably the biggest is going to be the SCAS or the Stability Control Augmentation System. That, that I think more than anything has been a lot of work. Because we're not just, you know, modeling, you know, the physics of helicopter flight. You know, those are obviously pretty well known. But it's how the SCAS system then modifies that to, you know, make it much more easy to fly for the pilot has been uh, much more of a challenge. And also, you know, you know many people probably noticed that uh, originally we had hoped to have the altitude and position submode of attitude at release, but we're not going to be able to unfortunately do that until after, just because it is such a complex system. Now down the road, uh, do you think it would be possible if there are, you know, aircraft in the pipeline that are, you know, other multi-crew aircraft to see variations of Petrovich or George for like a fixed wing, similar to how uh, Heatbler did their Jester thing, except maybe not with so many voiceovers? So when we do the uh, next fixed wing, we'll certainly look at alternate ways of a AI interface. It probably won't be Petrovich or George. It'll be something more unique and more applicable to fixed wing operations. You know, what form exactly that will take, I don't know yet. Um, but, you know, certainly I do not think it will be the old menu system. We'll find something a bit more elegant, a bit more useful and uh, easy to use. And obviously, a lot of new thought is going into George. So, are you going to kind of uh, backfit it to the previous helicopters when it, once it's ready, so to to advance them as well? Well, if you're referring like to the Huey and the Black Shark, uh, probably not a direct backfit because again, also we got to remember that uh, George is specifically made for the 64, uh, particularly in terms of the hover bob up transition and cruise type flight modes that we have for it. Uh, there's elements that, you know, later, you know, we could certainly, you know, look again, and it always comes back to time and resources, but it takes, that's exactly what it takes uh, to backfit something like that into say like the, you know, the Ka 50 or the UH-1. But, you know, hopefully, you know, with uh, Black Shark 3, we'll be able to do, you know, something like that where we can do, a, you know, something like uh, Petrovich adapted uh, for the Ka 50. You know, you mentioned uh, uh, the interfaces between um, the Rio, like they have in the 14, uh, the other crew members that you have, the George uh, Petrov. How is the interaction going to be like in systems like, you know, link systems that allow the Apache and the uh, A-10 to talk to each other? Are there going to be uh, capabilities such as sharing mark points or anything like that? 
well, I don't want to get too deep into it, but those are two different data link systems. Uh, the A10 is on saddle, although it does have a gateway to link 16. And the version of the 64 we're, we use does not have link 16. So there's really no data link capability between those two platforms. Uh, today, yeah, there probably is, but not, say, in 2005 to 2010, which is the uh, time frame that we're modeling. So basically, the Apaches will just mostly be able to link with their partners in the formation or in the uh, fighting force. Uh, in yeah, mostly aircraft. within their flight, but then also, of course, with JTACs and uh, things like that as well. But it is not part of a Link 16 network. Uh, Link 16 came later in life uh, for the 64. Actually, Link 16 was a big element of the um, Guardian. One more question, not directly uh, linked to that, to Link, but uh, people asking on the day one when it's released, uh, whether it's going to be a mapping done, like a pre-determined mapping for the uh, Warthog, uh, HOTOS. So, so it's easy. I, I understand it's going to be quite, I've read the manual, it's going to be quite um, complicated. Actually, it's, uh, it's funny you brought that up because literally right before we started talking, uh, just got done recording a control setup video for the 64. And I think what most people find is it's actually not that difficult to set up uh, once you know what to look for. Um, we're going to you know, certainly you know, have some pre-maps after early access. Uh, we'll probably will, you know, have some CBT members and people like that uh, propose you know, good setups that will include as defaults. But... I think it's much more useful to have a good understanding of the control system and allow people to set up the controls that works best for them. So how do you use it? I mean, so what are you using for the, the collective and the right. cyclic? So it really depends on the aircraft, but for the 64, I use a Verpal uh, Constellation and a CM3 throttle. Now you're talking my language there. And I did see the uh, video that Casmo put up the other day with his Verbal setup. So I'm thinking for those of us who have Verbal, that's going to be a godsend. Yeah, it's, um, it works very well for me. I, I like it because on the Constellation, you have a really good um, thumbstick axis controller, and you have an equally good one also on the throttle. And you're going to want to have at least a couple on your HOTAS setup if possible. Uh, one for controlling your... Uh, MPD cursor, and the other for uh, slewing the TADs. Duly noted. But, you know, if you don't have an Axis controller, you can also certainly uh, map control of either of those to like a four-way hat switch. So uh, by no means do you have to have, you know, multiple uh, thumbsticks. Yeah, I think most of the time when I ever encounter like mapping issues, it's generally user. Uh, you guys generally have put out enough uh, more than one way to make these things work. So I'm sure on day one that, um, to your point, if you if you're if you have the motivation, you'll figure it out. And it, man, I'm sure you'll have the basics. Yeah, there. and I think the video you'll see probably actually honestly later today. Which well, I guess actually when you have this video, it'll be history at that point. But um, there's you know a core set of controls, uh, both the pilot and CPG seat that you'll want to map. Um, and then there's a lot of flexibility of kind of secondary controls. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind with the controls is it's essentially modal in that you have a category of 64 controls for the pilot and a category of 64 controls for the CPG. So when you're in the pilot seat, you'll only use those controls assigned to the pilot. And then if you move to the CPG seat, you're only going to be using the controls assigned to the CPG. 
So that way you're not having to map both CPG and pilot controls all to the same bindings on a HOTES system, which would be a nightmare. So for example, uh, for me, when I'm in the pilot seat, I'm just using uh, mappings and controls for cyclic and collective. But then when I jump over to the CPG seat, all my controls are then automatically mapped to the left and right hand grips on the T-deck. Huh, that's pretty neat. Now, I know a lot of the um, VR folks that I talk to, uh, one of the biggest questions that's come up is whether or not the, what is it, the helmet queuing system, uh, I forget the proper HD. acronym, yeah, <laughs> whether or not that's going to be uh, represented in one eye or if we'll have the option, like with other modules, to put it in both eyes. Yep. So left eye, right eye, both eyes. Sweet. Probably just made a lot of people happy with that. <laughs> yeah. So actually, we've, we've mentioned this before, but, you know, uh, you know, obviously a lot of stuff, and I'm guilty of this, uh, we'll say online can kind of get lost very quickly. But actually, again, with this video I just put together, I've uh, made a point of that talking about it. Yeah, again. I think the, the point in that video was that uh, somebody called out that there was still some fire the, the on the, you could see fire in one side or you could still see some fire you couldn't mm, see it yeah. in one it was because left eye right eye or single eye which is is the real world is single eye uh, right partly yeah well the other issue too is you know when you uh, project a video to the hdu it's not 100 percent opaque uh, you're still going to see a bright light light source behind it it's just glass with a projection to it so if you have like a bright light like a fire uh, behind the HDU, you're still going to see it as well. It's not like a TV screen that's completely opaque. I was thinking, you mentioned the FLIR before, uh, and since there's lots of things go going to happen at night for the F64, and I know the night vision goggles are not used that often, but still, while working on the new FLIR system, are you also going to improve the NVGs for the game? Um, honestly, right now we, we're pretty happy with the mvgs you know sure there's a uh, room to tune but most of our work right now is just focused on uh, the FLIR system which we want to make just the best available i would have to agree uh having some time around mvgs that the scintillations that you see in uh the light flicker that you get um i've been flying a, quite a few helicopter mods lately uh, behind the c-130 at night and of course i can't get the c-130 to turn his lights off uh, but uh, the the effect that I get without having the burn through on the honeycomb is pretty realistic in my opinion, at least on my two di two dimensional screen. Yeah, we've had multiple SMEs review the MVGs, and yeah, there's you know a few points they like to see tightened up, uh, but by and large, it's it's not that far from reality. So again, it, it, as always, it comes down to time and resources, and right now, given that what we have right now is pretty good it's not it's not perfect but it's pretty good uh, there's more important items for us to focus on particularly again uh finishing up the FLIR yeah I'm always I'm always it's always funny I was uh so have been in the software industry uh myself I always know that we always have a list of things for our products that's like one to a hundred mm -hmm. and you know as Matt said you know it's always like yep that's on the list but where you know would you rather have this or that this or that so it's always that's often what it comes down to. Yeah, for sure. You do one thing, you lose something else. Yeah, it's always, a, yeah. So it's always a trade-off, but give it enough time. Yes. Um, but, you know, but I also think that, I think one of the things that you guys, just as a commentary, I think, you know, you know, often moving, um, holding back on the releases has, I think, quieted a number of folks. And I think rightfully so. I don't think, you know, 
as we've talked about previously, when we talk about uh, beta or early access versus something else. But I think, you know, when we look at the quality of the product that's coming out these days, I don't think anybody's going to be, uh, or shouldn't, in my opinion, uh, have too many squawks. I feel very confident when it's released, everybody's, gonna, everybody's always going to have something to say. But the quality of the product that you guys have been releasing of late has been fantastic. I appreciate that. And you know, I've said this publicly before, but we're not going to repeat what happened with the Viper. Um, in that case, um, it, a big part of it was public pressure and being browbeat to release it as soon as possible. Um, that's on us. We should not have released it at that point. And uh, we certainly not be doing that again. Well, I can definitely tell you, at least with uh, a lot of the Facebook groups that I'm in charge of, we have paid very close attention to that because, honestly, a lot of us did get the Viper back then, and we've stuck with it, but we've actually got your back on that. Whenever you know the subject comes up, we're always that. trying to basically tell everybody, listen, this is how it is. <laughs> you could either get it now and be unhappy, or you could just give them the time they need to get everything done. That brings up a good point because I always urge people to buy it advanced because it helps pay for the development. It allows you to get it at a discount rate and allows you to accumulate a little bit of miles points. Uh, even if you're not planning to fly it, unless you can't afford the $69 or the $62 for that module at, the t at today's price, you know, you're going to pay for it more later. So if you already plan on getting it and you can afford it, I just tell people get it and I honestly thought it flew nice out of the box at least the handling characteristics I was able to go out and do pattern work with a proper fuel load doing closed traffic within two weeks I mean it was it was amazing to me and you know I've got a year on Vipers in Korea if I had a nickel for every Viper landing and takeoff I ever watched I could probably take us all to Starbucks well the big one there again was uh, particularly the damage model that should that should never have happened I think we're at the point now where we can definitely go let bygones be bygones because, I mean, most people have. As a result of that, yeah, we've got all the, the stuff that's come out since then. You know, we've got the hind and so on and so forth. And I yeah. think, if nothing else, that yeah. has definitely redeemed the company in a lot of people's eyes. Oh, that's, and that's what's important. And it's, it's actions, not words. There's been lots of uh, like bad things being said by different communities, but in general, I think this is. The, the people that have problems are the most vocal ones. Oh, no and I'm doubt. looking, yeah, the p people playing the campaigns, for instance, and they, they're all very kind of, in a way, forgiving. Things don't work, and they say, oh, okay, it's fine, it's normal. There's so many things that are under the hood that it, ha it can happen. No problem, I'll just wait. And there's no really hard feelings there. It's, so it's also nice to see. Now, 99.9% .9 of our customer base are really genuinely good people smart, um, well-spoken, knowledgeable. Um, but of course, you're always going to have that very small minority, like any, any game, any community. Um, we're not unique in any way in that regard that, you know, for one reason or another, uh, multiple reasons why, that um, they'll tend to, you know, just focus on the negative um, rather than what's positive. But again, it, it, it is what it is. And it's, you know, part of this industry and it's part of, you know, product development in general. Yeah, it's interesting, though. I was, uh, I guess it was a few weeks back, I was talking with BD a little bit about um, some of the feedback that came back about Raven 1. 
And, you know, what I appreciate is trying to make, you know, these are campaigns that are made in conjunction with real Hornet pilots and trying to make it as realistic as possible. And sometimes that's the boring stuff of, you know, kind of going from point A to point B. Um, and, and just, you know, when I see the feedback where people go, well, this takes too long or things like that. Well, that's, that's a different type of game. You know, I, I find it interesting though, to see the, the various feedback that comes back or feedback we get from time to time. That's interesting. Which brings to mind my next question. Any chance we can get to see some campaigns, uh, with like Casmo and so on in there? <laughs> Like uh, campaigns integrating the game with yeah. Cosmo as a voice actor, you mean? Um, we do plan a campaign uh, for the 64, which will uh, come during the uh, early access period. And our inside or in, in-house uh, mission creator will be working on that. Uh, I I'm not sure if he's worked out the voice actors yet, but I would not be surprised if Casmo and some of our other SMEs take part in that. Awesome. We also spoke to Casmo today, actually, about a campaign done together and probably we yep. would go with the route uh, we've done with the iron flags we'll do a training realistic training campaign mm -hmm. which i think would be a nice thing for everyone to have yeah. absolutely you know i'm looking at the uh, apache questions and we've we've got one left on our ch list to check off and i'm not qualified to ask this and as we mentioned casmo wasn't able to be here today um I'm going to ask this question. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make some assumptions about it, but I'm going to ask the question about what is the APKWS uh, newer kit, and is that something that's unique to a certain model yeah. of Apache? So, so that's the Advanced Precision Kill Weapon System. It's basically a laser-guided Hydra uh, rocket, and that was a system introduced after uh, the version of the Apache that we're that uh, working sense. on. So it, it would be inaccurate for us to release it yeah, within and, our product. And that's, I love how DCS stays true to the form, true to the period. Um, you know, I, We try our best. Yeah, I like if... We don't always succeed, but we try our best. <laughs> I think it's pretty amazing if you uh, set a date and time on the mission editor, not only do you get the sun and moon and stars for that day in the right hemisphere, you also get the uh, lack of daylight or lack of, uh, lack of timing, but you also get the lack of technology, I guess if it's not available. Yeah, if you go far enough back, there's no more GPS uh, working. Yeah. The uh, question further goes on to ask about uh, a specific thing about it, you know, ability to turn on a uh, on and off the inner pylon for like harms example. I didn't even know the Apache could carry harms. It doesn't. Uh, I think maybe you might be referring to the Viper instead. Uh, it could be. It's, it's looking, it says, oh yeah, they just grouped the question together, but there's no reference to the Viper, but you might write. Yeah, so with the, uh, it's oh, got a whole different kettle of fish, but uh, with the Viper, um, we finally got what we consider very credible sources about um, loading uh, harms on the interstations, and it was very much dependent upon the unit. Some units actually did wire it up that way, where others did not, and we think that in the end, that was probably causing the most of the confusion. So. We went back in a later patch and we did just that. We made it an option. If people don't want it on the interstations, they don't have to. If they want it, it's available. Yeah, the only the only disparity there is you're going to have to choose if you want one bag of gas or two. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'd want to go on a seed missions, but just one bag of gas in the center. Or even then, if I'm going on a seed mission, I want a uh, ECM pod down there, not a bag of gas. So at that point, then I'm going on internal fuel only. Uh, no thanks. Anything to keep the tankers out of harm's way too, because that would, single yeah, bag is okay. a lot of refueling in the Viper. So I think since we 
uh, go through all the questions on the Apache. And if there's anything you'd like to say more, Matt, or we could maybe move to some other questions that folks have, and there's quite a few of them. No, it's just, you know, I want to, you know, thank, you know, you guys and all of our customers about being patient. You know, obviously we had initially planned to have the product out by the end of last year. Uh, unfortunately, when we made the estimate, it was, that's exactly what it was. It was our best estimate at the time based on, you know, uh, the level of progress remaining, what still needed to be done, and the allocated time projected to get that done. Uh, unfortunately, there were some items that ended up taking longer, and COVID did have a very appreciable effect on the product in terms of staff availability, and it pushed us out. And it happened again uh, later into January. So by no means was any date projection ever meant to mislead in any way. All I can say, again, it's just the best estimates at the time. And sometimes those evolve as situations evolve. Uh, we deeply apologize for it. Uh, we're, so we're sincerely sorry that it caused some of our customers frustration and uh, anger. But we really sincerely hope that when you get the final product, that it will all be worthwhile. I think as just said, people by now are kind of, they, they don't push, they're used to having to wait because they get a much better product at the end of the day. So that's not a problem. And it's something that we see a lot in just about all of the communities of farm around the various flight simulators. I'm sure you probably know uh, Microsoft flight simulators have more than their fair share of <laughs> flack when it comes to, you know, releases and, of course, bugs being introduced. In fact, I would dare say, and this was something that um, we were discussing on a recent uh, Three Grumpy Simmers podcast that we do, that... Um, it seems like Microsoft and Asobo right now are kind of in the same place that Eagle Dynamics was in a few years ago. And I'm not sure if they've really paid much attention to the lessons that Eagle Dynamics have learned. So we're kind of seeing history repeating. Well, it's one of those things that's a massive, massive product. And we have a team literally full-time on it. It's all he does. Um, and like I said, I think, I think we actually talked about this in the last podcast that you know we're not developing a very simple uh you know route and link system we're developing a whole uh larger strategic economic industry model behind it all and you know all i can say is it it simply takes time uh you know no one is slacking off uh or anything like that no resources have been reallocated from that um, it's just very complicated. It's taking time. And it's not just building the underlying code and all that, but it's also creating an all new interface system uh, that people can jump into and, and have an intuitive and really fun time. And, you know, when we do have something we can actually show, whether it's the interface or me flying a mission in the campaign, um, you know, there's no one more looking forward to that than us. For sure, it's, it's going to be great and a big, big, big thing. And I can just see by, by the questions asked that that's something the community is looking forward to a lot. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things we recognize as a very, very high priority. That's why we have literally dedicated staff on it. And um, in terms of actual game play, I can't think of anything higher in my own mind. So even for me, it's... Um, one of the most important things that we need to have for the product. And I think Nick and uh, Kate certainly agree. 
And then the other, I think, most asked question just behind the dynamic campaign was the update on the Vulcan uh, technology, I guess it is. I'm not really good at that. So uh, again, any, any news here? Well, Vulcan and actually more importantly, multi-core are, again, with very dedicated staff working on that full-time. They're just monumentally big tasks that take time. And unlike, say, uh, creating a new module, there's not like um, you know, work in progress art we can show and things like that. It's all based in code. And um, you know, I think particularly multi-core is going to be the much more important factor for performance, which I think is where most people are interested in. And um, there's work ongoing, you know, every day on this. You know, every uh, week we have a staff meeting, and all the uh, weekly notes, um, you know, talk about the progress on both those aspects. And I can't give a date, and nor do I really want to at this point. But it is actively being worked on. Again, no um, resources on it have been allocated elsewhere. It just takes time. Yeah, I think the uh, multi-core threading, uh, hyper-threading possibilities or the fixes on that will actually move any potential bottlenecks up the chain uh, once you get it off of the CPU and start offering, offering more capability at the base. And then you can also work out, you know, people can work out their graphics card issues and stuff like that. You know, it's the multi-core where we really see the big performance uh, coming from. I'm really interested in knowing more about the meetings every week. Do you think that you might stream that out to the audience? Oh, sorry. That's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah, I was laughing while true. muted. All right. We talked about uh, – oh, you uh, talk about uh, any any comments about the Mirage? Um, as a general policy, I don't talk about third parties. I let them speak for themselves. Okay. All I can say is it's looking fantastic, and I have every confidence that RGs is going to do an outstanding job on the F1. Here's here's one. I'm sure you've been you've been thinking this was going. What about the what are the chances chances uh, for the F18E? That's certainly, aircraft we'd love to do at some point. It's just you know right now between the 64, the Viper, and the Hornet, uh, we have our hands full. I imagine, yeah. Is there the documentation out there for the E that would be available? I I don't know. I you know, give, no, I've not even checked yet. Yeah, I just didn't know. Again, third party. Could be. We'll see. Probably not, but we'll see. You know, so I can check this question off of our uh, list over at Mondays. Uh, can we go ahead and rule out that the mystery helicopter is the Cobra? Can't talk about the mystery helicopter. <laughs> Okay, I'll just That's the first rule of Mystery in. Helicopter Club. Come on, man. To to our to our customers, we asked. <laughs> it's one nice question I like, and I just read it out as it was posted. So it says, in one of the interviews, Wags mentioned that he wants DCS to become a better game, as it's already a great sim. How is that coming along, and what exactly is being implemented in this regard? Radio exchange, career crew, more options, campaigns, etc. Well, can like we talked about before, dynamic campaign is certainly the uh, pinnacle of what we need to do in terms of better gameplay. Uh, you know, obviously, side eye to uh, Baltic Dragon, we have some outstanding mission uh, and campaign content content creators out there. 
but you know having a dynamic system that is you know ongoing persistent dynamic uh, particularly in a multiplayer environment that can people can check in check out and have you know no kidding cause and effect from mission to mission that's where we need to be someday uh, so that's number one uh, obviously number two is going to be improved ai and we are making, I think, good progress on the AI. I think people have noticed recently some of the changes we've uh, made to some of the um, uh, dogfight AI, particularly how it's using um, uh, two circle versus one circle and things like that. That's continuing to evolve. Well, a lot of work going on the ground AI right now. Um, other communications options we want to further improve. Uh, ATC, of course, being chief among those. And you know, ATC is one of those. We actually have design all ready to go. Uh, it's just, you know, it keeps coming back to this. It's just time and resources of having the programmer time to actually program everything in. And in fact, actually, some people have already noticed a lot of those new call signs that are in the mission editor now. Actually, this, or I'll admit, were actually accidentally put in there. Uh, those are actually elements of the new ATC and communication system that we are working on. Now, I do have one question that popped up. Um, with regards to several, I want to say several years ago now, we had heard something vaguely alluding to the fact that uh, DCS could be more like a whole global game. You know, from the standpoint of, think about like Microsoft Flight Simulator or X-Plane, where instead of just smaller regional maps, we have like a whole globe of interconnected maps. Uh, do you know if that is something that is still on the table, whether, you know, midterm, long term? Yeah, this is something we've actually talked publicly about. And we are very actively, again, uh, we have a team dedicated to creating a whole world map. Excellent. While we're speaking about maps, uh, we've got a question from uh, from one of our viewers that's asking if, if we're going to see any better performance on the current map, such as Marianas and Syria, as far as FPS and gains and stuff like that. Well, you know, naturally we'll continue to optimize where needed. And like with Marianas, as we're working on the World War II version, uh, there's certainly items that we're discovering that we can better optimize performance there. Um, but with Marianas too, even though it's a map, it's incredibly detailed object-wise. And in the end, it all comes down to triangle count in this case. And right now there's just a phenomenal number of triangles for such a detailed, though small map. And of course, you know, performance wise also, a lot of it will go back to what we talked about before with multi-core. Uh, naturally, once we have the uh, multi-core available, um, of course, we're gonna see performance increases on the maps uh, across the board. And there's one question that is linked to that, whether it's about the hard drive space. Uh, how about optimization in that regard? I'm honestly not sure how that would be optimized at this point. Uh, we're already compressing it quite a bit. People will have to optimize their disks so we get the bigger ones, but I guess that's normal. Yeah, well, particularly when you have you know larger maps using uh, satellite imagery, at a high resolution, it, it just takes up a lot of space. Unfortunately, there's no kind of magic way around it right now unless you do some kind of uh, streaming uh, system, you know, kind of like what Microsoft is doing. You know, I don't own a lot of modules, but I just recently upgraded from a 500 gigabyte SSD to a terabyte. And I know most people today that are building computers won't go below a terabyte 
for a, for a dedicated DCS drive. That's uh, that's probably the minimum for the future because I can see us going over that, you know, with all the additions yeah. and stuff coming. Yeah, I can tell you, mine is currently on a two terabyte yeah. SSD. Yeah, and if and if it goes to full world, I'll tell you that's you know, but but yeah, I think and the other side of it is you know compression has its own set of downsides too. If you compress it, you have to decompress exactly. it. Buffering time. I, I imagine that we'll see, if we do get to that technology in the future, I, I imagine we'll see something similar to the cloud-based system that Microsoft 2020 is using. We will see. So, Wex, we have a question that I'm going to combine two questions here. We've got okay. uh, somebody asking, and these might be from the same viewer, but uh, they're asking about the status on the dynamic weather and the cloud, cloud sensor interaction uh, which is paired with a question just above it about realistic winds implementation. Can we get just a brief overview of upcoming changes or what's being looked at for weather as far as in the pipeline? Right. So the next big changes to the weather system are going to be the moving uh, cloud fronts as well as the uh, kind of towering stratocumulus clouds. That will be the next step. Uh, then after that, of course, we'll be looking at additional things, you know, like uh, sensor blocking and things like that. But the next step is going to be what I just described. Speaking of dynamic weather, then, because uh, I understand that's going to be a new system, is it going to be the interface going to be different than the old one? Because the old one wasn't very user friendly, I mean, so to speak, if you didn't really know how it all works. Right. Actually, I do not know. I've not seen the new interface yet. Yeah, so it could be a new interface and worse. I suspect it'll be better. So when we, you know, we talked a few, several months back, you know, and I'm curious, uh, you were spending uh, quite a bit, you spent a lot of your off time in DCS. What do you, um, beyond the work, where do you, what are the things that you're doing in DCS now? What what modules do you play? Oh, geez, last few months, it's either um, the 64, the Viper, or the Hornet. It's pretty much it these days. And it must have been pretty fantastic to work with the SMEs on the 64. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the video that, uh, you know, Chasma put out the other day, you know, having the opportunity yeah. to fly in a two ship with uh, three other, you know, no kidding, uh, 64 pilots was, uh, it was pretty amazing. I really enjoyed that uh, quite a bit. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty cool to hear that, uh, the banter back and forth between them. Now, to be fair, I was, somewhat lost uh but nonetheless you know as i was trying to take it all in but it was still really cool to hear them uh going back and forth and and seeing uh them you know they were into it and that was really what was fantastic you seeing how how they were into it in doing what they do well for them in many ways it's one of the very few opportunities they actually had to kind of you know fly the true mission they initially trained for uh, rather than just doing coin type ops, they're actually, you know, no kidding, going doing mm. a peer to peer type engagement. And, you know, they really don't have, you know, probably the proper training tools in their commands to do what they can do in DCS now. Yeah, I thought the crew coordination in the Apache video was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I think that's where you know, the online capability of doing the multi crew and multi ship, particularly once you have the data link, is just going to be outstanding. This next question kind of hits home for me, too, because I've always wondered this, and I don't know. Uh, we've got two questions that I'm going to combine together into one, and it's about the AI difficulty level or skill level. Uh, one question asks, what is the difference between all of different levels, like you know, between rookie and ace and veteran and all that kind of stuff? And the other part of that question is, 
uh, is how complex is it when you uh, do you face to get around difficulty making it work? I mean, as far as development, is is it? I, I imagine getting the AI to do what you want them to do is pretty challenging. It is. We have a very uh, talented AI engineer. That's all he does. And actually, particularly the past several months, is all he's been working on is uh, AI uh, flight maneuvers. And he's been working with a couple of internal guys, some external guys, and just um, iteration after iteration after iteration of getting the AI to fly more intelligently. Uh, in terms of the first part of the question, if I, it's been a while since I looked into this, but if I remember right, in terms of like, say your, your rookie to ACE level, if I remember right, I think a lot of it is based on uh, the percentage of max G they will pull. I think reaction time, engagement distance, and there may be another, but I think if I remember right, those are the primary differences uh, between the skill levels. If we could get you guys to force the AI to do their G warm-up maneuvers, it'll give us more time to shoot them down. <laughs> I'd just be happy if they will all land on the boat properly. <laughs> It'd be the question for you. I mean, what, if you were to say what your AI priorities are in, you know, from a developer standpoint, from a campaign developer, what are you, what, what are your, you know, what are your hot points that you want to see? Absolutely basic stuff. So I think sometimes uh, it's, it's really difficult to get the AI to do a very simple thing, for, probably for different reasons. Sometimes also a, there are so many options that if you don't tick one of them, it just doesn't work as you expect it to. But probably it'll also come at some point. But things like, you know, when you set the ROE of the AI and they tend to ignore when you say only designated and they tend to attack some static object somewhere else. I think it's just a matter of, of fine-tuning those things. But for me, it's the really core things that should probably be looked at again at some point and, and, and verified and maybe updated. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of things we can do with the AI and, and a lot of things that, can be done with with the mission editor without even scripting so it's really amazing and when i see the amount of options the guys put in there into the editor is just it's just phenomenal yeah that's interesting no got it hey so so matt i and I, I don't think you give out real numbers but in just percentages is the dcs community growing is it pretty stable is it continuously or what are you seeing and was there any kind of um, it's spike during it's COVID. Growing at a, a good pace. I'll leave it at that. Okay. And then when it comes down to you, um, while I, again, I'm very partial to Baltic dragon, my <laughs> good friend, uh, and the quality of product that he puts out. Um, I also noticed that there are more folks in the development, uh, coming up with stuff. Is it, is that growing? Is that group growing as well? I know you're very selective. Yeah. Um, well, we do very much, uh, push a, what we call a, um, kind of a closed garden where, you know, rather than a system where anybody and their cousin can throw up a paid module, uh, we really try to adhere to uh, levels of quality that best reflect, you know, what we're looking for internally and just represent the product the best it can. So, you know, for campaigns, um, we actually go through a kind of a vetting process of requiring the first three missions, which are, you know, need to be hundred percent complete with all the scripting, all the voiceovers, all the briefings and everything else, uh, to gauge whether or not it's going to be, you know, at the quality levels that, uh, you know, we're looking for. 
And the same thing with an aircraft or a map. Uh, there's quite a few hoops that a developer would need to first demonstrate uh, to show skill level set before we would even consider a license agreement to sell through um, our product lines. Gotcha. We've definitely seen a proliferation of third party or what I should say unofficial mods out there. One of my favorites is the H60 project, the UH60 Lima um, that we've been experienced uh, well, I think it came out in January was the first rendition at the end of January was uh, 1.0. We're up to 1.2 now, which came out last Friday, a week ago yesterday. And uh, from what I'm seeing from that team and some of the stuff that I'm getting out of the helicopter, it feels to me like if they got their stuff together, they actually might be able to put together a paid module at one point if they get the professionalism level up as a business. Well, we're always, uh, you know, welcome to uh, hear from third parties that, again, can, uh, you know, demonstrate, you know, for like an aircraft, you know, it has to have a cockpit quality matching what we do right now, uh, not something from, say, from like Flaming List 3. Uh, flight models, again, have to be as close as they can be based on available sources. Uh, systems need to be, again, uh, up there. So uh, we keep... a. Uh, a pretty tight ship in terms of the quality that we're willing to license these days. So, but again, if we can have a developer, again, campaigns, maps, aircraft that can meet those levels, we're more than happy to talk to them about publishing. And, and what's kind of interesting, and I would say that when you look at, you have a set of, you have a core product and then the mod, uh, modules or products as well. And it's going to be interesting, like, for example, because whether you're looking at a campaign or you're looking at uh, an aircraft mod, you know, these are things that need to be updated over time. So imagine that you, you certainly look at um, uh, each, you know, when somebody approaches you, their ability to support the module continuously as well. Is that one of the very, you know, things that you're evaluating as well? It is. It's actually part of the license agreement. There has to be uh, essentially a licensed um, agreement that they will support that product in the future. Gotcha. Unfortunately, we've had instances in the past where we had developers who would not do that and it's put us in a very difficult situation. So we've actually uh, re um, addressed that in a license agreements to prevent that from happening again. Uh, we did have another question was unanswered about the F-18 flight model changes on its roadmap, but I think we covered that in sparses. Uh, the question specifically at the end is, uh, is the F-18 flight model overpowered? Not that we're aware of. Um, so the, the known issues with the 18 flight model slash flight control system is the ground effect and the touch and go mechanics. Everything else based on our data available in CFD modeling is correct. Now, if there's a customer out there who has a public verifiable source that shows we are wrong, we are more than happy to take a look at that and revised as needed. But at this point, we've been given or seen no information to prove otherwise. Got it. And 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 we're all, you're almost code complete on that on the F-18, aren't you? On the Hornet? Almost there. You know, the big one is uh, ACLS. Um, yeah. You know, another one that people like to talk about is you know, the MIDS functions. Uh, the problem is, yeah, there's some vague references in some documents, but you know, again, as far as I know, there are no actual detailed documentation of that system. And we're very limited about what we can do on it. 
because you know, particularly God in this this day's environment, and given that we do have some Russian contractors in Russia, um, we need to be extremely mindful mm-hmm. of sourcing. Yep. You know, you mentioned you mentioned the ACLS. Uh, I did a series on the Air Warfare Group about a year ago on case three recovery and f- what i got you know there's acls lock on mo- mode one and mode two and, on, and yeah and uh mode one a and mode one a and mode two if i'm not if i'm not wrong it works a, i can't remember yeah is mode two where you fly the needles uh, pilot input that still works is that correct well it's not so much needles with acls you're actually going to have a small ball that you essentially line your uh, velocity vector on top of oh like a little flight path marker lineup kind of it's you know when you're talking needles you're actually talking about icls at that point okay that's what i've been doing i've been i've been doing because uh, when the no, ai comes that's in, different yeah when you that's icls mothers will call you and say hey uh, acls lock on mode two right so what happened here is uh years ago uh jello was over at my house and we did an interview for his uh, podcast and while he was there he sat down and he did a bunch of line reading for me and um part of that i believe was some of the acls calls and then also we had a couple other guys do the acls comms as well so we have that all in the game ready to go for when we actually have the no kidding implementation of the acls system in the hornet itself so that's why it may be a little confusing because you're hearing the comms, but the system is actually not in there yet. That's cool. Yeah, I, I and it's interesting because I, <laughs> I've just started trying to learn the F-16 after a couple of years trying to get up to speed on the F-18. Just as a commentary, it's, you know, a lot of it comes down to time investment personally, which uh, as, I, as I mentioned, you know, I have two seven-year-old boys vying for my attention. Uh, they generally win, but when we sit there and we take a look at it, it it's uh, you know there are these nits and nuanced pieces that it just takes awesome. time uh, yep. to learn. So, and you know it it is, and so I appreciate when Juice comes out with some uh, with a great video that you know we can watch and it helps me get up to speed faster. So I appreciate the community's documentation as well as Wags and getting us there. Uh, no doubt, you know, this, you know, I've been doing this for, geez, 24 years now. And really? uh, there's just nothing that compares to this larger community. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic, the amount of content. And I'll, you know, and again, all someone has to do is jump into YouTube these days. Oh, and yeah. you get a bunch of phenomenal, you know, quality content. And certainly it comes down to technology is advanced and all these other things. But, um, you know, just like you guys listed the other day, a, a, you know, a group of folks that you can uh, look at his references. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, and, and without that, I'm not sure, you know, it, you know, what's the shortest distance to get proficient in one of these aircraft. It's, right. it would take a lot longer. Yeah. Well, there, there's no doubt. It's kind of the, the two edged sword of the DCS product. On one hand, it is incredibly detailed and for the most part, realistic. Uh, and a lot of people really dig that up. On the other hand, it can really scare away a lot of customers for those exact same reasons. And, but I mean, even now looking at the hardware support, what is the the Win Wing Hotas Orion with the F sixteen grip? Holy oh, smokes! Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, actually, literally when I was when I was making this uh, controls video, I think that's one of the things I mentioned is, I think we're literally living in the golden age right now of PC flight sim peripherals. I can't think of a time in the past where there are so many quality options available than what we have right now. And, and those options have come on like in the last two or three years. It hasn't, it's like uh, alien technology yeah. was just handed to these companies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More like 80s technology. Well, I, I, hey, bring back the good old days. Well, yeah, well, it, well, we'll take it. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I just have to laugh about it, but it's so true. And, you know, and, and you talk about immersion and, and what a great, you know, and, and one of the things we've talked about is having another podcast specifically about gear, because to your point, two or three years, but now looking at that, uh, and I, I happen to have bought the Orion and got lucky enough to get the F16 stick, but, uh, or at least a handle to go on top of it, but it's all modular. And then, you know, the trade out now it's not cheap at all, but at the end of the day, if you want to invest in it, there are a lot of tools that are out there for you to invest in to try to. Uh, broaden your immersion. That's pretty fantastic. You know, we're getting close on our time limit, uh, like over by 20 minutes, what we tried to shoot for. There's actually one question left, and I'd like to ask Wags, uh, you know, this is our first time talking. We've talked in emails uh, back and forth. But if, if think of this as Wags the enthusiast, not Wags the senior producer. What's your favorite module you like flying the most? Like if you were just going to go do your air, airmanship yoga, what I call it, and what favorite map would you like to fly on? Like pick one module that you just go relax with and what map? Let me divide that into two. If it's just me by myself flying, it'd probably be the Viper in the Syria map. If it's me flying with a buddy, uh, then the 64 in the Caucasus map. The reason I, I mentioned the, 60, uh, the Caucasus map it's probably, well, maybe actually the channel might be also a good choice. It's the best analogy I have right now for a kind of Western European map. And um, I don't think I made a secret, but the, the number one map I personally want to see as an enthusiast is a folder gap map. That's the ultimate map I want to see for DCS someday. We'll see. Unfortunately, that map has a massive number of challenges, which is why we have not done it yet. Well, I can speak for the rest of the community. We're, we're surely looking forward to the World War II version of Mariana Islands. Indeed. Um, yep, so Indeed. That's going to open up. That's one of our big growth areas coming up now. Super. Well, great times ahead, as always, with DCS. There's so many nice things in the making. It's always something to look forward to. Always. Yep. Right. It's a, it's a never-ending Process. Exactly. Well, like, thank you very, very much for taking time, being with us, answering all the questions. Uh, you're very welcome, guys. And looking forward to, to the next time uh, we, we have you here. And well, let's wait for the Apache. And thank you very much. As we said before, we're going to be more on schedule now every three weeks, I hope, with the episode. Lots of things to cover still. So thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. All right. Thanks, thank folks. Thanks for listening to Air Combat Sim. Don't forget to subscribe or tell a friend about it. You have a question, idea for an episode, or a special guest you'd like us to invite? Feel free to reach out on Facebook, Discord, or via email. Air Combat Sim was brought to you by BVR Productions.